Welcome, Capital Raisers. Chris Long joins us today to talk shop on growing businesses, self-storage, moving from Canada to create long yards, the business, and raising capital. Are you guys ready to raise? If you'd like to explore partnerships in BTR, talk shop on raising equity, explore our new capital mentorship program, or guys, you can come meet me at the Capital Raising Titans event with the Family Office Club on August 1st, 2023. Just use the link in the show notes. With that, it's Capital Raisers Show episode 273. And it starts now. Rock and roll, very cool. I got Chris Long on the Capital Razor Show. Welcome, dude. Happy to be here. I'm excited. Let's do this. <laughs> All right, so, you, so you're out of Tampa. You are a developer, franchisee, Capital Razor, syndicator. You do all kinds of really cool stuff. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Capital Razor Show Season 3 brought to you by our friends at Family Office Club and their company, Pitch Decks, that handles all your marketing stuff. So this is going to be real cool, man. Tell us a little bit about your background, man. I want to dive a little bit deeper into, you know, we were just chatting before we started the show about some of the things that you're up to. For the audience that doesn't know Chris Long, tell us a little bit about your business and how you got involved in this. Beautiful. Okay. So I started off as a contractor, a licensed carpenter. I was in the trade for 15 years, been running my construction business. And then I discovered basically an opportunity in the marketplace that wasn't really being capitalized on. And that was contractor yards. So here I am, Chris Long, CEO, the founder of Long Yard Storage is what we named it. Started my first location in the cold capital of Canada, quickly realized there's bigger opportunity in warmer weather in Florida. So I'm immigrating down here to the South, just expanding my business internationally. So that's a little bit about my foundings and the journey I'm on. Okay, cool. So you're from Canada. Tell me a little bit about doing business here versus doing in Canada. Let's start there. Well, first of all, there's a big mentality difference. Americans are like, let's go, let's do this. We're Canadians for the most part, a little more shy. So you've got that going for you and a little more conservative, let's say. The business world and the lending world has a bigger appetite for business in general in the States. Like you have SBA, which SBA approved our franchise model as well. So just to clarify, when you say franchisee, we're a franchisor. So we actually grant the rights to the franchisee. Night and day difference between Canada and the States. I mean, your business operations and the formulas are the same for your NOI and your cap rates and all the real estate language that comes with it. But the structures, the cross-border banking, you know, the paperwork, it's a little, it's a little different, especially with the language on, on real estate, but it's all the same. It's just a different, different area. So we get a lot of guys on here and ladies that talk about raising debt and raising equity, not so much about getting business loans. Tell us about the the process working with the SBA. What is that like? Do they treat you differently because you're Canadian or how's that process? It's actually very simple as a Canadian. They don't deal with you. <laughs> so you got to have a green card basically to qualify for SBA as an American and be the majority holder. For finding a property and it works for a franchisee, then we'll let them obviously apply and they're the green, they're, well, they're, they're an American, so I don't have to say green card, <laughs> but they, they would get the SBA and the SBA, it's, it's good and bad for, for, for the most part. It's great because it supports small businesses and that's what Long Yards does. And like at the end of the day, we're contractor storage yards, but we do support small business and it's very in line with what SBA stands for and supports. They're great for low down payments, your 10 to 15% on the land and the build out roughly. And it is a little longer with due diligence. You could be up to 150 days sometimes. So you really got to plan your sequences very correctly. But they're also very great. You could do three years interest only. And they're very, you know, they give you capital injections. So there's a lot of creativity to SBA and a lot of support for, for startups and small businesses. So it's, 
And it's great because the long years franchise model, which is the business on the real estate, allows you to leverage SBA for uh, the real estate in the business. So yeah, it's, 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 it's been great. Okay. So tell us about the actual business long yards. What is the contractor storage facility or what is it that you do exactly? Well, right. Well, I want to start by saying industrial outside storage is a hundred billion dollar industry. And this is just that market. What long yards does is we target these properties and we add our model to it. And what this model is, it's very unique in many ways. For one, we're quick. So we could find a location and we could be literally up and running in 90 days. We're not going through a million loops and hoops and building and contractors. Our model is made to be quick and to adapt to the marketplace. So that's what we do. We go in and we find the land in the right area that's we determine with our feasibility internally. And then we'll go and we'll set up our model with a hybrid of what we call long boxes, which are pop-up offices and pop-up containers, our mobile fencing. So everything moves around, which is great for the city. And, and there we go. We, we have a strong pre-lease up, all of our systems based on the franchise model, and we get this place spit in cash. So that's pretty much what we do. So who are the people on your team? Who's in charge of acquisitions? How do you raise the capital? I'm curious about a lot of things. So let's start with team. Who is the person that identifies land and how do you take it down? This is great. So <laughs> there's many layers to this. I'm hyper-focused in Florida because corporately, 80% of our energy has to be focused in, laser-focused where we are. And then the franchise is opportunity-driven. So on the acquisition side, we have an acquisition manager and he is the main responsibility for targeting the leads. We have several layers of software that gives us off-market leads dedicated to the zoning that's in line with our data. So then it spits out the list. And then we have another series of software that we can integrate to basically start channeling these leads. And right and starting April 1st, we're targeting 200 leads a week, off-market leads. And then we either do a joint venture deal. And if they don't want to do a joint venture, then we offer to put their property under contract. And at that point, we have the option. Do we do it corporately or do we do it as a franchise? So we're very creative to the marketplace, which is great because as everyone is seeing, the marketplace is changing. So sometimes having a different set of tools in, in a different environment is really handy. That's what we provide. How many people are on the team and how did you create the partnership with them? We have our acquisition manager, we have our CRO, we have our chief development officer, we have two advisors, and then we have virtual assistants. So there's a team of six, mostly boots in the, in the field, that's four, and then the virtual assistants are on a, a task and contract needed basis. So how do you pay for the land or do you get investor money for that? So for the land, because we're building out and scaling and our bandwidth corporately to consume all this land is that's a syndicated need by need basis on the corporate side, but the more scalable side, at least for the first eight to 12 locations, because we have stepping stones with a three-year strategy, the first eight to 12, what we actually want to do is have franchisees finance the land. Essentially we're leveraging our, the toolbox right now in the short term to get the first eight to 12 with franchisees, uh, because what we're planning on doing is we're going to raise a bunch of private equity probably, you know, 50 to over hundred million is the plan and go and take down a bunch of corporate deals. But we have the proof of concept and the case study in, in Canada and Ottawa, but we need it now in the States. We have our first location in central Florida that's going to be starting construction soon. The other ones we're targeting, we leverage either the joint venture or the franchisee, ideally basically scale. So you mentioned raising a lot of private equity. Who's going to be in charge of that? Is that you? You mentioned that you raised 175,000 today and another million previously to this. Is that correct? That's correct. So yeah, my first raise, uh, it was a million. And today we're rolling out long boxes and I just raised, it's easy. I don't, it was actually surprisingly really easy. So, I mean, we have a great business. People see it. We have a great team, great vision, tons of market opportunity. And 
these are just some key ingredients. Sometimes when you're chasing the money, you just got to build a great brand and the money chases you. So yeah, a little bit about the raising capital. I still got a lot to learn, always learning, but we all do. We all do. We all do. Yeah. We all have different strategies and different things that we're, <laughs> we're implementing too. Yeah. 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 So, so the person that you spoke to today, was this a cold person, somebody that you've been building a relationship with for quite some time? Yeah, this is a previous relationship. So I got a lot of contacts back in Canada and, um, I mean, it was a previous investor I've worked with and it was just, Hey, you know, I got this deal coming in and literally it was the next day he went to the, his lawyer's office and I'm in the U S so you can't just, I can't just drive down to him and collect a check. It's a little bit more across the borders, but so that was today. When you raise money, are you talking about doing joint ventures as you know, they're partners with you or are you, we got to be careful about 506 B versus 506 C and. Are you doing 506C capital raises for projects or how do you structure your, your deals? So that would be on the, on the syndication, on the corporate side for the project we have, which we're GPing with partners and, and they're taking care of the main capital raise, at least on the first location for us in central okay. Florida. And I still have a bit of a learning curve with all of, you know, I, I try to be careful with the details, but I can tell you about the joint venturing yes. and, and the franchising. So it's a little bit more clean. Let's do that. Yeah. So the joint venturing is more... It's very simple. I reach out to a landowner. He's got land. We've targeted to be in the right place. And we do a 70-30 split. He provides the land. We provide different financing packages. Take your favorite pick, ABC, right? How long do you want to wait? How much do you want to pay? A lot of people actually were talking to, they don't even like debt. We introduce the model. We oversee the development, the build-out, management, lease-up. That's it. And then we take 30% profits and they're getting 70% profits. So it's a great way to scale. So they're sitting on land, not doing anything that we've targeted as a great opportunity and we're just saying, hey, let's partner. We're going to take your land from a million dollars to three point five million. Mm-hmm. You're going to spend, you know, one hundred and fifty on financing, and here we go. So that's basically a formula that we're using to scale, and we're allowing the less people in the deal. Sometimes the less complicated, the easier it is. Yeah. By targeting the landowner and by having such a strong value proposition, we're letting them be the investor as well. And in most cases, a lot of landowners yes. have yes, the capital. Yes. You go to the landowner and then you tell them, what's that process like explaining to them what kind of business you're going to put on that land? Are they pretty, so far, pretty receptive, some of them? Well, it's funny because in some cases you're getting the broker rather than the landowner. Yeah. And you got to sell the broker, then he sells the landowner. But we, we really keep it simple, right? We, we keep the it the broker wants their commission, so I can see why they would at least bring it to their seller. Well, we also bring the broker in on the deal. So we'll give them ongoing revenues if they make this deal work. So they're they're more incentivized and, and they like that. So that's that's a great way. So now brokers are hunting for us. So get the brokers on your side and being creative. And now you're getting them on your sales team. And they would rather make three times the amount or up to five, depending on the size of the parcel, than a one-time commission check. We do offer the commission check. So that's one side, right? If you have the shield of the broker, but if you're dealing directly with the owner, it depends on your avatar. You know, if you have an older person, it's it's a different strategy, right? You're sending mailers, you're talking slow. You know, you can't always email them. Try to get out there and do a handshake, explain the deal. If you're dealing with someone that's a little more tech savvy, then you're doing it through email, right? And you just send them the package and you're keeping it simple and light the first few calls. And then you go deeper once the conversation evolves. And it, it really depends on who you're talking to. And that determines how you talk to them. Okay. So as a franchisor, you have to go and sell the franchise to people is that something that you're in charge of doing as well as is, is going out and finding the franchisees and selling them? Well, this is where we have our business development partner and he has more franchising experience and private equity experience than I do. Now I started the franchise operation. I built it out. I understand the lingo and I pretty much, you know, 
pre-qualify anyone I'll talk to to make sure that they're going to be a good team member and have a shared vision with us. So yeah, you know, I'm pretty much more on the real estate side, real estate leading that with the proposals dealing with the landowners. But if we are not doing a joint venture and it goes into a franchise discussion, then that's where our business development partner will then lead the conversation and the actions on that. So then what portion of your business is the syndicated part? So that's if we do corporate. So if we find great on-market corporate deals, or let's say we target a landowner, they don't want a joint venture, but they want to sell. And if we get a great deal and it's a great location, then you know we'll entertain it doing corporately. It's just on our financial bandwidth and how many you know investors are chomping at the bid at that time. So that's the case. So then at that point, we'll syndicate. You mentioned that you acquire the land with the franchisee. So how do, so you have to have the franchisee in place already, and then you're you go and identify the land. Or do you identify the land first and then go get the franchisee and sell them? Hey, let's let's do a deal on this piece of land. <laughs> That's a great question. That's a great question. So it's a bit of a learning curve, but it's definitely easier if you have the real estate first and then you target the franchisee because they can complete the story in the picture. Like if I'm talking to a franchisee and I tell them, you know, this is roughly what, you know, how the model works. This is the business. They can't complete the story and without understanding how much the real estate costs, what their mortgage is and what they can make on it. But they're still really interested in the model. So, you know, it's a little bit of what comes first, the chicken or the egg, but it's definitely easier to lock up the real estate. Then we build the entire model on it, send the drawings, we have the financing package, and then we go and hunt for the franchisee. And this way, it's actually a little easier, I think, and, and fair for everybody because they understand what they're getting, they understand where it is. And then we also have more leads coming in. Now there is a flip side, if someone is very interested in one part of Florida, they secure their territory. If something does pop up, they have the first right on it, then it's protected. And then they have you know, a first right refusal to do a deal on that piece of real estate. So we'll do it both ways. It just depends on the level of interest, but we're not stopping. It all comes down to the deal flow for us. And the deal flow is the opportunities with the leads. And then the leads dictate which direction we're going to go. So are you saying that when you're talking to potential franchisees, you're saying, hey, if you get in with me in some capacity, we can actually, even before we acquire the land, we can give you an entire territory where you'll have first dibs? Well, they get a territory that's defined in what's called a franchise agreement. So they have a protected area, right? For X amount of time, that's usually 100 days right now. If we find land within those 100 days, they have the first right to move on it and to make a deal happen. And then they get a protected radius around that location. So yeah, they have... I mean, we want to get them incentivized to protect their territory and to get along there. So we want we want them everywhere when they we believe they can be everywhere. So absolutely. Once you have the the storage facility, tell us a little bit more about that. You know, like who uses it? You mentioned it's a billion dollar industry or very lucrative industry. Tell us more about who is it that uses the land once the franchise is on there. Yeah, it's great. Our avatar at our location, it's a lot of people use this, probably about 60 to 70% small business. And then you get a variety of homeowners, hobbyists, and then you have corporate clients. You know, if you just think about how many people use a self-storage facility, an enclosed yard, as simple as it is, it's as beautiful as it is. Small business is a large part of it, right? You have arborists, landscapers, general contractors. You got people that are, you know, doing e-commerce, shipping and supplying. You have insurance, you have car dealerships. You have school bus parking. You have tow truck drivers, my least favorite clients. But you get everybody. It's When you start thinking about the, the network and the channels this can go out to, it just spreads. So now you have an affordable yard space. We could bring you a camera. We bring you power. We could bring you an office. We could bring you a container. We could do it quickly. We make it affordable. 
how many clients does that go out to? Yeah, it reminds me of back when I used to buy fourplexes. Sometimes we'd find, you know, multiple fourplexes on large pieces of land or something like that. And then sometimes we would rent them to people that needed some kind of a storage space to put their RV or to put their truck. You know, some of them were truck drivers and they would need some place to put and park, you know, their vehicles. In some cases, it made a lot of sense to, hey, I'll, I'll rent here because I also get this ability to store my stuff. I can see how there would be a need depending on what you're trying to do as a business owner or what you have going on. You mentioned a variety of different clients that could use that extra space. And as an alternative to having a huge warehouse, like for e-commerce, I could see why you create a more affordable space for them to put stuff that is not as expensive as, as a typical storage facility. So it makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And, and this is what happens when I'm talking to people the mind wanders off and they start to connect the dots of just the networks that they've had. They're like, wow, I, I know it's this person, this person, this person. It's massive. Just how many people can use this space? Like I'm immigrating and I, I have inventory coming down and I can use my own yard myself just for my own business expansion. Obviously it's the business that I run, but even people that are immigrating that I know from Canada into the US, cleaners, they need a place for their fleet, for all their drivers to come in the morning, have a small office, have a couple of containers for their supplies and they head out and it's affordable and it's well-located. It caters to such a wide net. So some of the people that you're working with are still in Canada, I'm gathering. Is that correct? Uh, no, part of my immigration is to hire Americans and to really, you know, support the U.S. economy. So right now, all of our partners are pretty much American. The VAs, of course, they're more task and fee-based, so they're a little different. But every location needs a manager. So they're, obviously, they're going to be American as well or local to their location. What about the investors or JV partners? Are those guys all American too? In the States right now, we do have American partners. Yeah. In okay. Canada, it's more Canadian. I was curious about that because I was wondering if you had any insight on the process. This is something we haven't really covered in great detail is like for a Canadian that wants to syndicate in the United States, what's that process? Who do they have to, to deal with in terms of, you know, CPAs or getting the right kind of entity structures in place? So I'm not sure if you knew about that or not. Well, a little bit. I'm, I'm doing it the first time. So we have an LP in place and it holds the LCs and and you got to structure it with your operating agreement. And, you know, it's not too hard. I, I'm working with a great firm and they'll syndicate for 1300 bucks. They'll oversee the documents. So it's some people are kind of worried and afraid, like, oh, my God, this is such a, a daunting task. But I say it all comes down with a great deal. You find a great opportunity. And if you know how to you know make the money work on that, don't be afraid to syndicate a deal down here in the States. You know, lawyers are going to help you through through the trenches. And if you got networking already with relationships and the funds, they'll, they'll come to a great deal. So I try not to make it too complicated. And then for a lot of the American syndicators that are looking to take foreign capital, maybe it's not quite as complex to receive that money based off of what you're saying. Is that your opinion? Yeah, it's it's not. There's a little bit of fees coming across the border. So you got to keep that in mind. You got your, you know, you sometimes got lender fees, you know, if you know, if you've got a good relationship, you're not paying a lender fee, but yeah, bring it across the border. You, you got some fees on, on that side. So you got to factor in all the consequences and actions of moving money across the border. But I'm not going to pretend I'm a great CPA accountant. It's, uh, you know, one of my least favorite things, but moving money across the border for a great deal could be worth it. <laughs> That's for sure. So how about we jump into the lightning round? My first question to you is what's the best vacation you've ever taken? Africa. I went to Africa and that was mind blowing. So, you know, going to Kruger National Park, seeing the lions and that was memorable. Yeah, that was great. Awesome. Favorite yeah. book of any kind? 
I mean, Rich Dad Poor Dad's a classic. Everyone says it. $100 million offers by Alex Ramosi. All right. How much of your success do you attribute to mindset? 100%. Okay. So this is something that I've kind of been talking about lately on the show is that a lot of people answer something similar. I'd say like 95 to 99% of the people I've asked this question, they say, you know, 80% or higher. You know, a lot of people say 99% or 100% or 95% of my success is attributed to mindset. But then people don't get mindset coaching. Why do you think that is? I'm just curious. Well, it comes down to mindset. <laughs> you know, it's a great answer, but like you live in your head. Everything, every thought, you know, every action starts with a thought and every action has a result. So it all starts in, in your mind. And it, it's as powerful as that says it, it is. So you have to feed your mind like like you're going to the gym and feeding your body and, or like you're feeding your stomach with great food. I mean, feeding your mind with the right people and just educating yourself, you just grow to become a greater entrepreneur. Maybe I say that because I, I come from humble beginnings, so I appreciate the value of, of educating myself and surrounding myself with great people. And I only know that because my mindset is the only thing that can truly allow me to grow as an entrepreneur and as a person. And I have to be an open mind to see the values of, of people around me that can allow me to level up. And I think if I didn't have the mindset that I do, I definitely would not be where I am. So I, I can confidently say 100% because it all starts with your mind. So do you get any coaching? I'm just curious. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And actually I have such great partners because of my, my business and my brand that these are the type of people I've actually paid to coach me, but now they're coming beside me to grow this. So now I just feel like, oh my God, I'm hitting the lottery and I have such great momentum. I'm fueled. I wake up in the morning. I'm like, I've been working last night till 1130 and I'm up early and right to the office and I'm being pulled. I'm not being pushed. I just love it every day. That's, that's one of the big keys is love what you do guys. It's hard to have success if you don't love getting up and doing it. Very cool. How long do you want to live? I'm curious. I mean, I'd like to live as long as I could. That's a good question. <laughs> I mean, you know, my daughters, they'll, they'll probably give me gray hair fast, but uh, you know, if I, if I live to, if I break 90, I, I think I'd be happy breaking 90. I'd obviously like to break a hundred, but being a guy, you live a little less than women. So, you know, 90 would be good. Okay, and cool. I can remember things. <laughs> ah, hilarious. <laughs> How about this? Do you have any hacks for breaking through limiting beliefs? It's all results driven. So one of the things that I, it's a great question. I find if you're having a hard time breaking through a mental belief, let's say creating, learning a new software or something that's challenging, you have to break beliefs in other fields. Like you have to go to the gym and bench press more or lift a little bit more weight. You have to start getting victories in other areas of your life to break beliefs that you can become stronger and better by working towards it. So if you can't do it at that particular task, don't put it aside, keep chipping at it. But remind yourself by completing other tasks in your life, because you need to diversify your goals. And then if you start getting these victories, whether it's losing weight, eating healthy, going on date nights with your, you know, your wife or doing fun activities with your kids, or just, like I said, putting more weights on the gym, whatever these victories are, you need to remind yourself that you can win in other areas. And then when you go back to this task, it's sometimes, you know, you just got to find the who, not the how. And that's half the battle, right? Is going to that mindset. If I don't know how to do this. It's simple. Who does reach out to them? But you got to give yourself the confidence and the belief that that you could chip through it like anything else. How about this? What's the biggest difference between who you are now versus who you were in high school? Man, that's big. In high school, I was blowing firecrackers in class and I'm surprised I even made it through high school. So I was the <laughs> worst kid. I was the worst kid. I actually I was in uh, an SSU class from grade two to five because I grew up in a farm and then I, I was really late 
going to school and back then if you're behind in English they're like oh you just go in this class so I was always a little bit behind in, in a few of my topics in, in schools but I was a, definitely gone to that rebel phase so when I think about my success I'm always like oh my god I want to be worth 100 million right now sometimes I look in the rearview mirror and I'm like you know what you've accomplished so much you're so much farther where you became where you were you've created financial freedom you got this big cash flow property you've surrounded yourself with great people I'm in Florida my wife's a stay-at-home mom I got beautiful daughters like I have so many reasons to be grateful. So when I look in who I was in high school to what I am now, is I sometimes I don't even digest, which is, right. you know, it's, I just gotta calm down, drink a coffee at night and smoke a cigar and be like, man, you're already crushing it. Relax, be grateful. One of the things I'm practicing is gratitude because I feel like that's just yes. massive. That's, so I think that's all connected. Oh, this is fantastic. I'm having a lot of fun here. How about yeah. this? Best way to raise capital from your perspective? Be very transparent. You know, it's just, Talk about what you're doing, having great communication with anyone that's involved, and you just got to keep moving forward with your business. You know, I think when you when you're putting great deals together and you're just active in the community, money will find you. Sometimes people are doing it backwards; they're trying to chase the money. It's like just keep doing you, build your business, build your brand, find a great deal, and the money finds you. Don't focus so much on the deal. The deal is an after effect of your success. Keep crushing your business. Keep doing you. And then you're going to do it. You're going to outperform everybody else. Then the money comes. The money's a byproduct of who you are and who you're becoming. So I would say focus on you. Heck yeah. I love that. How about this, man? We were talking about dogs. I have four German shepherds in the podcast studio with me right now. They're all passed out. They love being in here. You like to take your dogs to the beach. Where did you take them in Canada? And tell us a little bit about why you like to take them to the beach now that you're in Tampa. Oh man, I just as a kid, I, I always grew up with labs. I got, I got, we got two labs now in a boxer, so they're not in the studio with me. But even as a kid, I take my black lab and I would just go to the beach. You know, I would go to the at the time the creek, right? It was my escape from the ghetto or the. You know, I was like, I take my dog out and just kind of have my little escape. And then she had puppies, and I raised one of her pups. So I always had the generation of labs, and uh, I've always had labs. So here in Florida. You know, it's a little tough because I take them to the ocean, but my lab is not too smart. She drinks too much salt water and then she gets oh, sick. Dangerous. Ah, so I just learned about that. Just taking my dogs to a place of water is kind of like my tranquility and my peace and then I can shut my brain off. And I don't know what it is about it, but it's my happy place. No, me too. My dogs keep me at peace for sure. All right, so you and your wife are going to getting professional dance lessons. How did that <laughs> come about? Well, it came about by me being a bit of a romantic. I mean, when I first met my wife, I'm like, what's your dream? And she's like, I want to go to Africa. And I took her to Africa. I'm a big dreamer and I'm, and I love my wife. So I just figured we're going to do something different. We're going to go to dance lessons. So I booked some dance lessons and, you know, last night was our third time going. And it's a lot of fun, actually. It's a, it's a good workout. And we're doing tango and all sorts of dancing and she's loving it. And it's a lot of fun. So yeah, I'd recommend it. Cool. Take your wives out to go dancing, guys. Don't be, don't be shy. All right, do your yeah. spiritual philosophies have anything to do with your success in business? Yeah, I just, how do I answer that best? It's just, I, I have a belief that you just have to believe, as cheesy as that may sound, but my philosophy, my, my spirituality is, you know, keep believing in good things, helping people, and good things will happen to you. It's kind of like the golden rule philosophy, and, and I believe there's a balance. So, if, you know, if you're putting a lot of negativity in the world, a lot of negativity is going to come to you, but if you're putting a lot of positivity, positivity will come back, and the more you give, the more you'll get. So that's my philosophy and spiritually I believe in and I think the world is it's starting to get back to me because no matter where I was, if I was low, I'd be offering help to people and I've always done that and I'll, I think I'll always continue to do that. You know what's funny is sometimes I ask people this question and they give the, they say they're not spiritual and then they give the exact answer that you did. They're like, 
hey, I believe in the golden rule, and you know, that's as close as the spiritual as I get. And I'm like, well, that is spiritual. <laughs> so, anyways, have you experienced a miracle or had a near death experience ever? Man, I mean, being a teenager and driving reckless with ATVs, I've had a few near death experiences. I once hit the front of the ATV and I flipped and then my head came like inches from a tree. So just being a young, crazy, reckless teenager, but nothing where I was like, it was a slow thing where I was actually kind of getting a perspective of life type thing. So no, I, I can't relate to that. I, I didn't have a near death experience and I'm grateful I have. <laughs> okay, good stuff. Last question brought to you by Shanna Amigo, one of our great listeners. She would like to know what impact would you like to leave in the world? Allowing small business owners to see a bigger vision and to allow themselves to get motivated to the next level. Long Yards' mission is to help small businesses. And that's what I was. I was a carpenter, I was a contractor, and now I'm building a real estate development company and I'm living in Florida. I changed my life. I leveled up. It's all in the mind. So if I can inspire small businesses to believe in themselves and to take the next step, I would be proud of myself and leave a dent in the world. Dude, amazing answers on the lightning round. Love that part of the show. Thanks for entertaining us there. Shout out to the Capital Razor Nation. Thanks for tuning in. Please leave us a five-star written review. Shout out to Legacy Acquisitions and our sponsors, Syndication Pro, the Family Office Club, and Pitch Decks. Check out our offers at CapitalRazorShow.com and make sure to inquire about our Capital Razor coaching. With that, hey, Chris, how does the audience get a hold of you, my friend? I put my number. They can call me 941-278-1995. You can find me at longairs.com. Shoot us an email. My email is clong at longairs.com. Rock and roll. Any last words of wisdom for the aspiring capital raiser, business owner, or syndicator as they scale in their business? Just keep doing you, man. Work hard, crush your business, find great deals, and make it happen. Good stuff, dude. Well, this has been a blast, man. I really appreciate you coming on the show, my friend. Yeah, I, I love it. Thanks. Looking forward to doing it again.